This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Tear down this wall. Germany has a history of being at the center of global debates about democracy. The Berlin Wall, the literal symbol of the fight over democracy, reigned in Europe from 1961 until it fell in 1989. And even before the fall of the Berlin Wall, democracy was winning. Citizens in Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and Poland overtook their authoritarian governments, and like East Germany in the late 1980s, pressed for democracy and won. And when the wall fell, Europe was no longer cleaved in two, but was united in democracy. Pro-democracy movements gained strength in the 1990s. Eastern European and Baltic countries fought for democracy, often in extremely bloody wars that strained but didn't break the will of those fighting. Estonia, Georgia, Latvia, Lithuania, Yugoslavia, and Ukraine won their independence and won for democracy. Africa and Asia, Latin America, and the Middle East, those citizens were fighting for democratically held elections, a free press, and anti-corruption measures in government. In 1998, 10 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, one could look at a map of the world and think democracy was unstoppable. As Ian King notes in a piece for CNN, something changed in the mid-2000s. Democracy's advance began to stall. Initial signs of democratic backsliding could be missed if you weren't looking for them. Russia taking control of Georgia in 2008, and countries in East Africa began to reinstitutionalize autocracy. As King writes, the worldwide decline in democracy since the mid-2000s is now too obvious to deny. The facts can't be described as anything other than a trend. This doesn't mean democracy is doomed. Democratic progress has been undone before, most darkly in the 1930s, but at other times too, and always rebounded with fresh vigor in the years after. Marcus Teglis was a 16-year-old kid when the Berlin Wall fell. He vividly remembers the rush of excitement as East Germans like himself began to feel around for what a new form of democratic government could look like. Teglis is now the minister-counselor at the German embassy in Washington, D.C., and an expert in transatlantic relations. As Europe again finds itself dealing with a democracy in crisis, this time with Russia's war against Ukraine, Teglis asks us to consider Europe again at a crossroads and what Russia's aggression against Ukraine means for a global democracy. Welcome to Democracy Matters. I'm your co-host, Kara Dillard, professor in the School of Communication Studies and Interim Associate Director of the Madison Center for Civic Engagement. And I'm Jason Witted, co-host of Democracy Matters. I'm a senior pre-law and political science student at JMU with a minor in public policy and administration. 
I'm also a democracy fellow at the Madison Center, where it is my job to increase democratic engagement and awareness among students at JMU. The goal of the Democracy Matters podcast is to speak with academics, leaders, students, and practitioners about the importance of democracy in our world. Mr. Teglis recently visited JMU and took the time to sit down with us at Democracy Matters to talk about the state of democracy. In roles prior to his current work at the German Embassy in DC, he was Chief of Staff for the Minister of State for Europe in the Federal Foreign Office. He joined the Federal Foreign Service in 2013. From 2008 to 2013, he worked as Chief of Staff in the German Bundestag. Mr. Teglis holds a Master's Degree in European Studies from the Viadrina University in Frankfurt and a Master's Degree in Philosophy and Musicology from the Free University Berlin. Today, we're sitting down with Mr. Teglis to talk further about his comments about the future of democracy in Europe. Hello, Mr. Teglis. Welcome to Democracy Matters. Hi, thank you for having me. I'd love to start here by asking you about the current climate across the continent. So talk to us, in what ways do you think Europe is at a crossroads? What are those crossroads? You know, I love it to bore people with uh, history lessons, and I uh, uh, um, won't do it today, honestly. Uh, but I have to go back a little bit in time because uh, looking at the European history and uh, looking at the uh, uh, thing that changed everything for Europe, we thought in 1989-92 when the Berlin Wall came down. And since, since I'm from the eastern part of, of Germany, I grew up in, in a, on a communist system, so it's for me, it was a great day. I was 16 years uh, old. And we, we thought, okay, now uh, uh, um, it's the time where the Cold War period is in a way over. And we are on a new horizon when it comes to democracy. Uh, um, and then we have these times now, starting with fe February 24, uh, 22. Uh, and we see maybe in perspective um, the... Uh, uh, post-war times weren't over. Maybe they are over uh, um, um, in uh, um, February 22. So I think that's a completely new situation for Europe and, and a completely fundamental change in that way. What should the role of the EU and of NATO be in ensuring the sovereignty of Ukraine and condemning Russian's aggression while also potentially bringing both parties to the table to negotiate a peace treaty or a deal? You know, I think the most important thing we should always keep in mind is that the Ukraine is not an object in a way, not a, not a country uh, uh, um, um, which is confronted with interest of the European side or Russian side or uh, uh, whatever, or US side, it's, it's a sovereign country. Um, and it has, at the end, it always has to decide by itself uh, what is the end of the war in a way um, and how uh, um, um, should we proceed. What is very important is that we are, the US and the European Union, uh, we are allies uh, for, the, uh, um, for the Ukraine uh, and nothing more, but only uh, also nothing less. NATO's policy towards the Ukrainian conflict uh, has demonstrated a balance in the West's interests in preserving democracy and in preserving sovereignty, while also attempting to avoid a major conflict between 
uh, superpowers and protecting the world from nuclear conflict. Uh, how does that balance shift in interest? I mean, how does that balance an interest shift due to quote unquote anti-democratic nations uh, further aligning with each other as tensions rise? Uh, for example, Russia and uh, China becoming cooperative and um, China cooperating further with Saudi Arabia as well. Um, so how does that balance shift due to those nations collaborating? With respect to Russia, we've seen to, uh, to, to, to answer the first part of your question, we've seen that um, the um, acting of uh, President Putin is in a way very rational. That's in a way good news uh, um, because we never saw an attempt to be aggressive uh, when it comes to NATO countries. So, um, um, because we all know it's a very dangerous situation, also for Russia, uh, um, and so and so far, I have to to, to, to add because uh, we should all be aware that everything can change uh, uh, immediately. Um, but what you also saw sometimes we kind of of are cynical in in the European Union when it comes to Putin uh, saying, okay. We always are in such a big fight. We were in a big fight uh, uh, with the European Union countries. And I worked for in the field of, of EU a very long time. Uh, um, and uh, Putin managed to unify the European Union in a way uh, that uh, was not possible. So we are, we are really speaking with one single voice. Uh, uh, and you have to go back a very long time to uh, uh, remember when, when it was the last time that we were so unified. He also managed to reunify and to uh, um, uh, enlarge the uh, NATO with uh, Finland and Sweden. So that's a kind of, of, of sarcastic maybe, uh, uh, but that's the situation now. But when you look at, at the other sides, and, and that's a, a second part uh, of your question, and you mentioned China, uh, of course, the uh, always the elephant in the room from especially when it comes to, to the U.S. perspective, um, you see that um, to deal with the consequences when you decided, for good reason decided, at the European Union to kind of decouple your relationship to Russia and to uh, um, um, find a way dealing with things without Russia, which is from a European perspective. I know uh, it sounds sometimes strange from the U.S. perspective, but which is from a European uh, perspective, a rather new perspective because they are our neighbors. And they, uh, uh, the difference between, one difference between uh, the US and the European Union is uh, for us, Russia will not vanish from the landscape. So we have to find a constructive way or some way to deal with them. Um, and uh, we clearly decided to, to uh, um, decouple our economic and political systems from the from the Russian side. But you also see the consequences. You see a kind of the danger of, of, of building new blocks in world order, as you may call it. And that's the situation now. And it's it's a clear difference, speaking of, of China and Russia, which are clearly non-democratic systems, um, that they have aligned. They are I think everybody is mistaken to to mistake it for a kind of a friendship. It's 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 of course a strategic friendship uh, um, because they uh, have a lot, especially Russia has a lot lot of uh, uh, to lose because they lost a lot of allies. Um, 
And I think there's a danger also for the people living. It's not only governments live, uh, um, we are dealing with. We are always uh, also dealing with people from Russia, uh, societies and uh, uh, China. And it's a danger, of course, for them to see these um, pushing farther away from, from uh, European democracy and the US democracy. And that's a problem for them also. Mr. Teglis, I think the point about how Russia's advancement against Ukraine has united Europe and how Europe has really rallied around Ukraine, not just as a country that's been invaded, but as a, uh, you know, the war there is seen as an affront to democracy and very much a literal attack against democracy. And that's an incredibly important point to take away from what you're saying. And I think your analysis is, is really important that what's happening across the European continent is really this united front you know, to protect and support democracy. So if I can ask you this, what you know, maybe seems the logical end point of, of, the, of this particular conversation, which is what happens to democracy in Europe and, and globally as well if Russia succeeds? I think that's that's the the core point. And uh, um, to uh, if you allow me to 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 uh, answer it more in a more wider context, um, we have in uh, the U.S. and we have in Europe a rather a growing discussion uh, of is it worth it? We always count the numbers. We always see. We always have these fancy fact sheets. How many billion we spend on 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 uh, um, uh, um, um, the different kinds of, of assistance, um, budget-wise, and, and, and when it comes to weapons and, and also humanitarian issues. Um, but uh, when you look at it from a strategic side, what would happen uh, if, the, uh, uh, if uh, Russia, if Putin had have had a success and, um, it, um, and the Ukraine would be kind of the Russian empire? Uh, the only question we would talk about now is who will be next. And you see it in, in, in uh, various kind of the former Soviet Union. You see it in the Baltic states. You see it in, in Romania, Bulgaria, you name it. Um, so, um, and to, to, to make it a little bit more ironic, the uh, um, Russians justify their war with exactly that, with democracy, with a kind of, yeah, the, the popular narrative in Russia is uh, we have to have this, they don't call it war, they call it special operations, as we know, um, we uh, have to, had, have, we had to fight the Ukraine people because they were clearly on a, a anti-democratic, on a Nazi path uh, uh, to, to anti-democratic government. And, and that's, of course, uh, um, um, very, um, not only wrong, but very brutal thing to say, uh, in a way. Um, and uh, um, um, I think the um, when also looking at the di discussion of Germany, and as you know, given our history, of course, we have always had very much difficulties dealing with delivering, for example, tanks to a, a war zone. It's it's completely new, and most Germans also me included, of course, we have to get used to it uh, in a way and we have to, 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 to cope with this uh, um, thing. Um, but uh, um, um, to see that you have uh, also to defend your democracy uh, with weapons, um, it's 
and thought is a thought that is unusual for for Germans with a history because we, me too, honestly, uh, we thought we were done with that. Uh, um, we aren't, as we see now. Um, so, um, um, and the the I think a, a very particular special thing when you look at the Ukraine uh, uh, thing is that you um, have a. I think in our view, uh, with uh, democratic values, a completely justified war. And uh, um, um, that's, I think, especially important when it gets, because as a democracy, you always need uh, the kind of, uh, um, you need your society behind you. Otherwise, you can't make it. With the Russia and Ukraine war forcing Europe to engage in a series of consequential decisions, Mr. Teglis, I, it's important that we can't forget that prior to Russia's invasion, Europe was home to a rise of a whole series of populist movements in different countries, um, from the obvious example of Brexit in the UK to anti-Macronism in France, or even the five-star movement in Italy. And I know that I am leaving off a score of other sort of populist movements happening across the European continent. And all of those kinds of populist movements have really seemed to gain real traction over the last decade, if not the last you know, five years. You know, uh, for obvious reason, I'm, I'm um, uh, not the right person to, to give lessons uh, to, to the United States. For first, we have uh, uh, we have completely different systems. Yeah? Um, um, I think the U.S. system is much better compared to the French system, which is also a, a presidential uh, system combined with the party system, a little bit more complicated. So it's it's uh, um, uh, it's not easy to manage to to compare these uh, uh, two systems. And to to, to add another thing, um, uh, I was. Wondering, as a German living in the U.S., and I sometimes talked to people about, uh, um, are you afraid of the future? What do you think about the democracy in your system? And I always uh, sometimes get the answer, which I find very interesting. You know, we are a democracy for a long time, and we at the end, we always managed it. And, and I think that's a very interesting uh, answer because it, it has two sides. On, on the one side... Uh, um, I think it's it's dangerous because you should never take a democracy for granted. That's for sure. On the other hand, I um, I, I admire it a little bit because it's the the kind of mindset that you are born and raised in a democratic system, and that's what you know, and that's what what your values uh, um, lie uh, <clears throat> in a way. On the other hand, we grew up in a a uh, system which uh, had a kind of insecurity in it, as you may may put it, maybe, uh, because you uh, um, couldn't take democracy for granted. Um, and maybe sometimes we are more, in a way, more aware of what is at stake. I hope that we are aware of it. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, so um, I think there's only one general advice if you like to have one uh, um, and that's it to to um, to travel more to to learn more uh, to get to know more cultures because i know the difference of course in, in in germany you are surrounded by a lot of other small countries 
the US is not really a country, it's, it's kind of continent and it's, it's hard to leave the country. Uh, in a way, you have to, to fly or to go to Mexico or Canada. Um, but um, maybe that's uh, one thing that is much more difficult for Americans, but maybe useful to change perspectives. That's the only thing that comes to my mind. So I'm going to keep talking about how U.S. politics can relate to um, political movements in Europe. So we had a major event in 2020, January 6th, where a lot of rioters stormed the Capitol um, in the interests of you know, preserving the presidency of former President Donald Trump. Uh, so what sort of warning uh, did January 6th uh, provide for the rest, for Europe broadly and for the populist movements that are happening in Europe currently? I think it was for all of us really shocking. There's no other way to, des to describe it. Uh, I remember vividly uh, I'm sitting in Berlin at this time, but knowing at this moment that I'm, I'm going to post it to DC, uh, um, um, that you realize that is a moment that changes a lot. Um, but when you look at it from the perspective now, the first thing you have to say is you, you dealt with it. And I think that's the, the thing to, to always keep in, in mind. At the end, uh, um, um, they didn't succeed. Um, you have a, from my point of view, a completely functioning uh, system when it comes to, to, to the uh, uh, jurisdictional um, um, questions, of course. Uh, there are um, um, a lot of work is done. You had a, 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 a committee. I know that not all people accepted this January 6th committee of the, uh, of the, of the House. Um, um, that's of course part of the of the problems we all have as societies. There's no way uh, around it that you that uh, the people on, on the other side, the citizens of, on the other side, uh, question uh, the uh, um, uh, if it's the rights committee. Um, but as long as you have the discussions uh, about it, I think uh, um, our democracy are alive uh, and it worked. But adding to that, not to end on a too positive note. Uh, um, because you uh, um, ask, okay, what effect uh, did it have? Um, you, you clearly saw sometimes it takes only a few persons who are courageous enough in the moment to step up uh, and to, to prevent uh, um, um, bad things from, from happening. On the one hand, it's encouraging that it happened. On the other hand, it's, it's, uh, uh, um, you see the danger. What is when it's when it's not happening? So, so I think uh, 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 that's part of the of the keeping uh, uh, thoughts and discussions about democracy alive, um, and um, it's completely okay to be uh, uh, on completely other side of the of the discussion. I don't want to to drive it too far, but but speaking about um, um, uh, um, very. Um, um, Difficult things take, for example, the discussion on abortion. Uh, that was something. That was a discussion that took place in our country too, 20 years ago. Uh, and it was uh, 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 also not very easy. Um, but when you when you look, especially on, on January 6th, which was clearly a very disturbing experience, I think, for, for a lot of people, um, at the end, uh, it was not successful. And that's the, the um, main point in that.
thank you, Mr. Teglis, for joining us on Democracy Matters. We deeply appreciate your commentary on Europe, on Germany, on social movements in the continent, and the fight for democracy. Your comments are extremely timely. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Leia Servo, Democracy Fellow for Communications in the Madison Center for Civic Engagement. Jason Witted, Democracy Fellow for the Madison Center, is the co-host and production assistant. Parker Boggs, Madison Center Democracy Fellow, and Adric Bagdasarian, Woodson Martin Democracy Fellow for the Madison Center, provided research and production assistance for this episode. Randy Budnikus, JME Director of Digital Marketing, provides syndication for the program. Normally, our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Today, we sampled from the Berlin Wall of Sound, hosted on SoundCloud by Berliner Moyer. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can connect and engage with us online at JME Civic on Twitter and Instagram. Learn more about the Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University at jmu.edu civic. We'll see you next time. Tear down this wall.